welcome to our next podcast on the end times. My name is Keith Sieber. I am the pastor of New Beginning Baptist Church in Palm Coast, Florida. And we're going to look at our podcast number nine on the end times. The title of this podcast will be Human Bewilderment and Divine Warnings. And we'll be looking at Matthew chapter 24 again in this podcast. But before we we dig into our podcast this week, I'd like to talk about our church for a moment. We had our Valentine's banquet last week. We had a great turnout for that. Uh, I believe the Lord was honored. We had lots of fun, lots of food, lots of fellowship. The Lord gave us a good message about how husband and wives are to relate to each other. And that was great. Uh, the Lord blessed that. We're thankful for what the Lord is doing in our church. Uh, we had a good Sunday. Uh, thankful for that. Thankful for the, the fellowship, the sweet fellowship, and just uh, the way the Lord is blessing our church and providing for our church and, and just uh, meeting our needs and our wants on his schedule, not necessarily our schedule, but we're so thankful for what the Lord is doing in our church. Just get back to our podcast. This message is titled, Human Bewilderment and Divine Warnings. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 24, and I'm going to read verses 1 to 3. Matthew chapter 24, verses 1 to 3. And God's word says, And Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, There shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? Now, before we get started, let's go over our golden rule of Bible prophecy. When the plain sense of Scripture makes common sense, seek no other sense, but take every word at its primary literal meaning, unless the facts of the immediate context clearly indicate otherwise. Now, I'm going to go over our plan and how we are proceeding through our study of the end times. We've gone over the introductory material already. That was the first part of it. The second part was the plot line of Bible prophecy. That was just an overview, a map of the big picture of our study. We've completed that. And right now, we are in section three of our study. We've titled that The Setting. And we're going over the setting and signs of the end times. That would be a, a study primarily in Zephaniah. And Matthew chapter 24, and that's where we currently are right now. Then when we complete our study in Matthew 24 and Matthew 25, we're going to move on to the next section of our study on the end times, and that is the cast of characters. And that's just getting to know the main individual actors of the end times. Then when we complete that section, we're going to move on to the scaffolding and the structure, and that's mainly the timeline and nation actors of the end times. Basically, a study of part of the book of Daniel, not all the book of Daniel. Then after that, we're going to move on to our main narrative, and that's mainly a study in Revelation, but we'll also jump back into Matthew 13, and we'll go to a few other places as well, but that will be mainly a study in the book of Revelation when we get to that final section. So Matthew chapter 24, verses 1 to 2 again. And Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things? 
Verily I say unto you, there shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. Imagine the amazement and astonishment of the disciples when Jesus gave them this prophecy. To them, no event could have seemed more improbable than the destruction of that splendid, magnificent temple. So vast and so rich, and only getting more splendid as the construction project continued. Now the temple was the pride of Israel. That nation was not, a, was not at war with anyone, and the disciples could not conceive of any other reason for such destruction as Jesus had just described. There seems to have been no doubting of his word. They seemed to have accepted it as fact, but they at the same time could not understand or comprehend how. How what he said could or would take place. They were simply bewildered at the prophecy. Now, no stone left unturned. Look at verse 2, Matthew chapter 24. And Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, There shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. Jesus spoke these words around 33 AD. In about 40 years, around 70 A.D., the prophecy was fulfilled to the letter. The Romans, led by the powerful general Titus, overran the city of Jerusalem, leveled it to the ground, and laid the temple in utter ruin. The account of the total destruction of the city and the temple as left to us by Josephus was accepted as a truthful historian. Therefore, while his recording of events is not scripture, it is reliable and worthy of acceptance, and is widely accepted without objection. Josephus was a Jewish priest, and in the wars of which he gives vivid and full account, he fell into the hands of the Romans. He was captured by them, and they held him prisoner during the siege of the city of Jerusalem. Being a Jew, he did not accept Jesus as God in the flesh, God's Messiah. Therefore, he would not intentionally say anything designed to confirm the prophecies of the Lord Jesus Christ. But the historical account he gave is a clear commentary on these prophecies as having to do with the destruction of the temple and the city of Jerusalem. In Josephus' work titled Jewish Wars, Book 7, Chapter 1, Paragraph 1, we find the following information. After Jerusalem was captured, Titus, the Roman general, gave orders that they should now demolish the whole city and temple, except three towers which he reserved standing. But for the rest of the wall it was laid so completely even with the ground by those who dug it up from the foundation that there was nothing left to make those believe who came hither that it had ever been inhabited. Now another Jewish writer tells us that another officer in the army of Titus used a plowshare and tore up the foundations of the temple that the prophecy of Micah 3.12 might be fulfilled, that Zion shall be plowed as a field and Jerusalem shall, shall become heaps. This teaches us a principle to keep in mind. God has a perfect right to use anyone in any way that pleases him to do anything that he wills for that person to do. Let me repeat that again. God has a perfect right to use anyone in any way that pleases him to do anything that he wills that person to do. We have no right to ever tell God 
that he cannot use someone in a certain way or for a certain purpose. Destruction of the temple did not just happen. It was called for by Almighty God in fulfillment of divine prophecy and judgment. The history of the siege and destruction of Jerusalem tells us that Titus really wanted to save parts of the temple, and he frequently sent the captive Josephus to the Jewish people to implore them to surrender, by which action they could save the temple and the city. But Jesus prophesied that the city would be destroyed and the temple would be utterly torn down. Therefore, in spite of the desire of the Roman general to preserve at least part of the temple, it was destroyed. If anyone on earth, if any human being had the power to save the temple, it was Titus, the powerful Roman general. But God Almighty had decreed destruction, and destruction was what happened. The prophecy was literally fulfilled. In Josephus' work, Jewish Wars, Book 6, we learn that the Jews set fire to the porticos of the temple. Then one of the Roman soldiers threw a burning firebrand into the golden window of the building, and very quickly the entire inside of the temple was a mass of roaring flames. Titus ordered the fire to be extinguished and all efforts put forth to save the temple, but his orders were disobeyed by his soldiers because of the deep hatred the Roman soldiers had for the Jews. God Almighty declared that the temple would be destroyed, and the word of God has never failed, nor ever will. Incredible as the prophecy of Jesus seemed to the astonished disciples, the day soon came when that prophecy was literally fulfilled. This teaches us another principle. However astonishing the prophecies concerning the end times are to us, we can rest assured they too will be literally fulfilled, for God's word has never failed, nor ever will. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. Matthew twenty-five thirty-four. Now, end of the world. Matthew 24 and verse 3. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of thy coming, and of the end of the world? And the end of the world. The Greek language used here in this phrase means the consummation of the age, not the total destruction of the material universe. The Jews believed that the appearing of Messiah would close the present state of things and introduce a new age. Disciples were fully convinced that Jesus was the true Messiah, therefore it was natural for them to ask him this question. His answers were not given to satisfy the curiosity of the disciples concerning the future, but rather to save them from misconception and to restrain their impatience, as well as to stimulate watchfulness and faithfulness. Now questions and more questions. We're going to now do a bit of review from our previous message and discuss the questions the disciples posed to Jesus and the questions he answered in addition to the questions that they asked. We're going to review the list of them that was given in our previous message again. Then we are going to read through those passages noting where they answer a particular question. In our previous message, I mentioned how Jesus did not answer the questions in the order they were asked, and I said the text will show us which questions he answered and the order he answered them in. We're going to look at that as we read through the entirety of the text in Matthew 24, 
and part of the text of Luke chapter 21. You'll see how he used certain transitional words and phrases to help us to see how he was answering the questions. This is something you may not notice when you first read these passages or when you first start to study them, but I believe once I point them out, you'll see them and begin to understand them for yourself. Matthew 24 and verse 3. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us when shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of thy coming and the end of the world? Now by putting the questions in order, Matthew 24 and Luke 21, you have five in total with a sub-question added to question number one. So bonus question A, what are not the signs of Jesus coming? This is answered in Matthew 24, 5 to 6. Question number one, when will the temple destruction happen? This is answered in Luke 21, 20 to 24. Question 1a, what are the signs of the temple's coming destruction? This is answered in Luke 21, 12 to 19. Question number two, what will be the sign of your coming? This is answered in Matthew 24, 9 to 44. Question number three, what will be the signs of the end of the age? This is answered in Matthew 24, 7 to 8. And then bonus question B, what are the duties of a faithful servant as he anticipates Jesus' return? And this is answered in Matthew 24, 45 to 51. Virtually everything Jesus says from this point forward in chapters 24 and 25 of Matthew will be in response to these questions. We will spend several weeks studying this discourse in chapters 24 and 25 of Matthew, and these questions will serve as our outline for that study. But we need to understand a quirk to the Olivet Discourse like I've mentioned previously. Jesus does not answer these questions in the same order they are asked. Instead, Jesus gives his answers in an order which better suited his purpose in revealing these things to his disciples and to us. Now, the order Jesus answers them in will be bonus question A, what are not the signs of Jesus' coming? Uh, Question number three, what will be the signs of the end of the age? Question number one, when will the temple destruction happen? Question 1A, what are the signs of the temple's coming destruction? Question two, what will be the sign of your coming? And bonus question answer B, what are the duties of a faithful servant as he anticipates Jesus' return? So he answers his first bonus question first, followed by question 3, 1, 1A, 2, and then his second bonus question is answered last. So let's work through the questions here. Bonus question answer A. What are not the signs of Jesus coming? If you have your Bible, go to Matthew chapter 24. We're going to look at verses 5 to 6. Matthew 24, 5 to 6 says, For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, come on, here's the key phrase, but the end is not yet. So this answers the question, what are not the signs of Jesus' coming? And Jesus tells us the answer he's given us right there, for the end is not yet. So these signs he's mentioned are not the signs of his coming. He tells us that, but the end is not yet. Notice it says, again, at the end of verse 6, but the end is not yet. 
This phrase lets us know Jesus is talking about things that will not be signs of his coming or the end of the age. He is telling us we will always be hearing of wars and rumors of wars, and to not let these things worry us that the end may be near, for he says the end is not yet. He also tells us that throughout history people will be claiming to be Christ, they'll be claiming to be the Messiah, they'll be claiming to be Jesus. He said people will come from time to time doing this, and they will deceive many, but the end is not yet. And in my lifetime alone, several people have come claiming they have been Jesus. But the end is not yet. Now next, Jesus answers question number three. What will be the signs of the end of the age? He answers that question in verses 7 to 8 of Matthew 24. For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Now Jesus is saying, when these things start to happen, pay attention. When these things start to happen, pay attention. When nation starts rising against nation, when kingdom starts rising against kingdom, when famines come, when pestilences come, or disease, or a worldwide pandemic comes, when earthquakes in diverse places come, like the ones that we've just happened in Turkey and Syria, All these are the beginning of sorrows. Jesus says, when these things start to happen, pay attention, for these are the beginning of sorrows. The Greek word for sorrows is actually travail, or labor pains, or birth pains. In these verses, we can see which question he is answering, for he tells us this is the beginning. These are the signs, in other words, of the end of the world, or the end of the current world age we are living in. He tells us that. He says, this is the signs. All these are the beginning of sorrows. So Jesus is walking us through this passage, telling us what he's talking about. We just got to pick up on these phrases that he's he's instructing us. He's trying to make it plain for us, but sometimes uh, we just don't pick up on those things. But if you look at it, examine it, and slow down, Jesus is telling us what he's talking about. Now next, the next question that he answers is question number one. When will the temple destruction happen? And that's answered in Luke chapter 21, verses 20 to 24. Now, Matthew does not record the answer to this question for us. So we have to go to Luke's account for a moment uh, to get Jesus' answer to this question. And in Luke's account, the answer to that question, I will start reading in verse 20 of Luke 21. And when you shall see Jerusalem compassed with armies, then know that the desolation thereof is nigh. Again, he's answering the question, when will the temple destruction happen? And when you shall see Jerusalem compassed with armies, then know that the desolation thereof is nigh. He's telling us exactly what he's answering. The desolation of Jerusalem, the desolation of the temple is at nigh. He's answering the question, when will the temple destruction happen? Uh, Continuing on, verse 21. Then let them which are in Judea flee to the mountains, and let them which are in the midst of it depart out. And let not them that are in the countries enter thereinto. For these be the days of vengeance, that all things which are written may be fulfilled. But woe unto them that are with child, and to them that give suck in those days. For there shall be great distress in the land, and wrath upon his people. And they shall fall by the edge of the sword, and shall be led away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles, until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. Again, notice in verse 20, he is telling them, this is answering your question. 
as to when will the temple destruction happen. And he ends in verse 24, saying that you're going to be taken away, and you'll be taken away into the country of the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. Now, the next question Jesus answers is 1A, what are the signs of the temple's coming destruction? Question number one was, when will the temple's destruction happen? And question 1A, that sub-question was, what are the signs of the temple's coming destruction? And that's answered in Luke 21, but starting in verse 12. Notice Jesus again tells us what he's talking about. He says, but before all these, they shall lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and into prisons, being brought before kings and rulers for my name's sake. And it shall turn to you for a testimony. Settle therefore in your hearts not to meditate before what you shall answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom which all your adversaries shall not be able to gainsay nor resist. And you shall be betrayed both by parents and brethren and kinsfolk and friends. And some of you shall cause to be put to death. And you shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. But there shall not an hair of your head perish. In your patience possess ye your souls. Just prior to this in Luke 21, Jesus was discussing the signs of the end of the age. But then he transitions in verse 12 and says, But before all these things, this lets us know that he is about to say what happens before the end of the age. And he had not mentioned the destruction of the temple yet, so he must be referring to the signs of the coming destruction of the temple. That is the only question he could be answering at this point, and as verified is when he transitions in verse 20 of Luke chapter 21, he says, and when you shall see Jerusalem compassed. So he's telling us, he's, he's, he's basically telling us exactly what he's talking about. We just got to pick up on these transitions and, and, and understand them. But Jesus is telling us, he's not making it complicated. It seems complicated to us sometimes, but just slow down and look at his transition phrases, and he's telling us what he's talking about. Now, the next question Jesus answers is question number two. What will be the sign of your coming? And that's answered in Matthew chapter 24, verses 9 to 44. Now, notice the transition word in verse 9, then. He is indicating he is moving forward in time now to answer the only question that they had asked that he had not answered yet. So we know that in these verses, Jesus is answering the question about the sign of his coming. These verses are also divided up into three separate sections, and the first section is further divided into three additional sections. Uh, Verses 9 to 31 are talking about the tribulation. And what verses 9 to 31, these events occur between the rapture and his physical return to the earth when he steps foot on the Mount of Olives. Now, the next section is a parable of the fig tree, that's in verses 32 to 35, and this is the sign of his impending second coming. And then the next section is as the days of Noah were, that's found in verses 36 to 44, and this section discusses the circumstances of the earth at his second coming, along with a warning to be ready for his return. Now, section 1, verses 9 to 31, that's divided further into three more divisions. We see the midpoint of the tribulation discussed in verses 9 to 20. We know this by reference of the abomination of desolation in that section. In the next, the second section, 
This refers to the last three and a half years of the tribulation. That's found in verses 21 to 26. We know this where Jesus tells us by the use of the phrase, for then shall be great tribulation. And then the final section of this section is referring to the ending of the tribulation and immediately after the tribulation. That's found in verses 27 to 31. And we know this for Jesus' physical second coming is referenced in verse 27. And verse 29 says immediately after the tribulation. And verse 31 talks of the gathering to, of, to Israel of God's chosen people that takes place at the end of the tribulation. So again, in this passage of scripture, in Matthew chapter 24, 9 to 44, Jesus lets us know what's going on. He tells us. He, he, he tells us the transition words. He basically lays it out for us. We just have to see it. We just have to slow down and pick up on his transition words. Verse 9, then. And then we, we know he's talking about the tribulation, verses 9 to 31, because of what he's talking about there. He's referencing the abomination of desolation. He's referencing, uh, for then shall be great tribulation. He's talking about his return on the Mount of Olives. So uh, he points out these things, and he lets us know what he's talking about. We just have to see it. We just have to understand it. Now, Matthew chapter 24, uh, starting in verse 9, I'm going to read through verse 15. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted, and shall kill you, and ye shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then shall many be offended, and shall betray one another, and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall rise, and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. When he therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place, whoso readeth, let him understand. An interesting parenthesis occurs here at the end of Matthew 24, verse 15. Whoso readeth, let him understand. That's in parentheses. This statement indicates that what Jesus was teaching here in the Olivet Discourse would have greater significance for people reading Matthew's gospel in the latter days than it did for those hearing it. Let me read that parenthesis again. Whoso readeth, let him understand. Jesus knew this would be written down and people in the future will be reading it. And this indicates to us that this discourse, what he's talking about here in this passage, would have greater significance for a future people that was reading it in the latter days than it did for those at that moment that were hearing it. So by reading the prophet Daniel and the words of Jesus along with the book of Revelation, and what the Apostle Paul wrote concerning the end times, future believers, that is us, will understand these events and know what to do. This is another evidence that the Olivet Discourse applies mostly to and will be not fully understood and comprehended until right before the Lord's second coming. This means it was written in such a way that earlier believers would have a harder time understanding it than we would have, and it was written and spoken that way intentionally. The message was more for us than it was for them. That is something to really think about. That's something to really ponder. That phrase should just scream at you when you read that. Whoso readeth, let him understand. That's talking about you. He was speaking it to them, and he added that phrase, whoso readeth, 
let him understand. That's something to ponder. That's something to think about. Uh, Are we the generation Jesus had in mind that he would give the spiritual discernment, the spiritual understanding, the spiritual comprehension to, so that if we put the work in, like I've talked about in this passage, we've got to put the work in. We've got to notice what Jesus is trying to tell us, and he's trying to, he's trying to tell it to us. He's, he's giving us the transition words. He's giving us the phrases. He's, he's locating uh, the time period he's talking about as he's talking about it. That we've got to put the work in to comprehend it. Are we the ones that, were, that it was given to fully understand this prophecy? Ponder on that thought. Are we the ones that were to fully understand this prophecy? And if we are, what does that mean? What do we do with that? Well, that means it's very close. That means the rapture is very close. That means the end of the age is very close. That means our time to get God's word out, to spread the gospel, is running down to almost nothing. We've got to get to work. Now let's continue reading. Verse 16. Then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. Let him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house. Neither let him which is in the field return back to take his clothes. And woe unto them that are with child and to them that give suck in those days. But pray ye that your flight be not into winter, neither on the Sabbath day. For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time. No, nor ever shall be. And except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. Then if any man shall say unto you, Lo, here is Christ, or there, believe it not. For there shall rise false Christs and false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. Behold, I have told you before. Wherefore, if they shall say unto you, Behold, he is in the desert, go not forth. Behold, he is in the secret chambers, believe it not. For as a lightning cometh out of the east, and shineth even unto the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Matthew 24 and verse 27 that I just read indicates that the return of Jesus to the earth will be sudden, like a stroke of lightning. The event that precedes his return is the gathering of the Gentile nations and Armageddon, Revelation 16, Revelation 19. The eagles flying around the carcasses in verse 28 picture the awful carnage that will result from this great battle in Revelation chapter 19. The cosmic changes mentioned in verse 29 precede the return of Jesus Christ to the earth. Now, picking up again at verse 28 in Matthew 24. For wheresoever the carcass is, there will be the eagles gathered together. Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light. And the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. He shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. Now learn a parable of the fig tree. When his branches Yet tender, and putteth forth leaves, ye know that summer is nigh. So likewise ye, when ye shall see all these things, know that it is near, even at the doors. Verily I say unto you, This generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. 
Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. But of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of no were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark. And knew not until the flood came and took them all away, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Then shall two be in the field, the one shall be taken, and the other left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill, the one shall be taken, and the other left. Watch therefore, for you know not what hour your Lord doth come. But know this, that if the good man of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered his house to be broken up. Therefore be also ready, for in such an hour as ye think not, the Son of Man cometh. Now Jesus answers that final question, bonus question, answer B. What are the duties of a faithful servant as he anticipates Jesus' return? That's answered in verses 45 to 51 of Matthew 24. Uh, Starting in verse 45. Who then is a faithful and wise servant, whom his Lord hath made ruler over his household to give them meat in due season? Blessed is that servant. Whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. Verily I say unto you, that he shall make him ruler over all of his goods. But, and if that evil servant shall say in his heart, My Lord delayeth his coming, and shall begin to smite his fellow servants, and to eat and drink with the drunken, the Lord of that servant shall come in a day, when he looketh not for him, and in an hour that he is not aware of, and shall cut him asunder, and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So now just to wrap up this podcast, I know I've gone over a lot, a lot of information. might be great to, a good idea to listen to this again. Um, but notice the transition words, the transition phrases. Jesus is telling us what he's talking about either with the transition words, transition phrases, or he's giving us an anchor as to what time he's referencing, as when he talks about the abomination and after these things. And he's letting us know what he's talking about. It's there. And uh, if you, you study it, start looking for those transition phrases, start looking for what he's basically telling us exactly what he's talking about. It, it, once you notice that and grasp that, then, then chapter 24 and 25 become a lot easier to comprehend and understand. So let's wrap up this podcast. Well, I hope that Matthew chapter 24 makes a bit more sense to you now. Uh, You can see how Jesus helps us to see what he is talking about and what he is referencing and what questions he's answering by the word selections he makes, by the transition words he uses, by the summation phrases and transitional phrases he uses, also by a process of elimination. We can tell in which questions he is addressing and when he is addressing them. This is a passage of scripture that takes a lot of work to understand and to comprehend. It takes a lot of work to understand and comprehend, but it is not impossible. We just need to be willing to roll up our sleeves, put in the work, and if we do that, I believe the Lord will reveal to us exactly what he wants us to see, to learn, and to get out of this most difficult passage of Scripture. 
Second Timothy 2.15 says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. We definitely need to be workmen on this passage. With the Olivet Discourse, we are in the meat of the word. In fact, we are in some of the toughest, chewiest, and hardest to digest meat in the word of God. So let us be approved workmen. Let us not be ashamed. Let us labor together in the word of truth and get the spiritual blessings the Lord has in store to those who put in the spiritual work of studying and comprehending the work of chewing on and digesting the meat of the word that is the Olivet Discourse. That is Matthew 24 and 25. And again, if you're in a Palm Coast area and you are not in a good Bible preaching, Bible believing, Bible honoring, the Lord glorifying, making much of Jesus' church, I'd like to invite you to come worship the Lord with us, to study God's word with us at at New Beginning Baptist Church of, of Palm Coast, Florida. We seek to make much of Jesus, not of ourselves. Uh, we want to put Jesus first, not us. We want to put God's word first, not traditions. It's all about the Lord. It's all about his word, living by his word, preaching by his word. If it's Bible, we believe it. If it's not Bible, we'll question it. And if you don't have a church in the area, I invite you to come attend New Beginning Baptist Church. We meet Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. for church service, Sunday evenings at 5 p.m. and Wednesday evenings at 6.30 p.m. And thank you again, and, and may God bless you, and may God give you a good week. <music>